Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 34. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grape is ripe, when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in the stillness and silence of this place right now, perhaps the most still and silent we've been all week. Still. It's difficult to listen, to reflect, to settle in, because there are still so many voices that shout from outside to do more, to be more, to achieve more, to purchase more, to strive more, to climb higher. We could spend our entire lives climbing the ladder only to get to the top and realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. We have that voice from within, the inner critic that tells us that those people who told you that you'd amount to nothing were right. Why even try? Tomorrow's not going to be better than today, so why don't you just give up? And yet in the midst of the swirling voices of our lives, your voice comes to us and says, I know you and I love you. And my love is demonstrated in its fullness in the person and work of my son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you'd give us eyes to see that right now, however we find ourselves believing or unbelieving or somewhere in between. That you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. You'd convince us of our great, your great love for us and then send us out to love one another in the same way. And so we pray now that you would do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that you would rescue us, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, that we would find ourselves coming to true life in you right here 
and right now. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, one of the interesting things is that um, throughout the Gospel of Mark, which we're studying today, people are constantly amazed with Jesus. No one just met Jesus and said, wow, interesting guy, what's going on tonight? I'm just kind of moving through my schedule. They either crowned him as king or killed him as an imposter. But no one was just kind of left in the middle. He was provocative. And at this point, Jesus has already been teaching. And throughout his Throughout his ministry on earth, he's healing, he's teaching, he's feeding 5,000 people or more at a time. And people are coming out of their minds by this magnetic rabbi who's not only talking about God doing something new, but every time he moves towards someone who's broken, there's wholeness. Every time he moves towards someone who's on the outside, They're brought into the center of the community. So he's not only talking about renewal, but everywhere he went was a picture of that renewal and what it actually looks like in real time. And so often they'd ask him about this renewal, this rule, and he would talk about the kingdom of God. In the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, so turn around, have a change of mind. Recognize there's a new king. The one thing he never did, he never summed up the kingdom of God in one word or one sentence. Can you imagine how many people must have said, Jesus, would you please just sum up the kingdom of God in one sentence so we can get our arms around it and understand it, so we could tweet it out in 140 characters or less and everyone could just get it? And he never did. Flannery O'Connor, the great writer of fiction, was once asked to sum up one of her short works in just a sentence. And she said, if I could sum up the entire work in a sentence, I would not have had to write the story. You can ask me to describe fire to you, fire, in one word. We probably use a similar word, hot, heat. But one word does not convey all of fire. It does not describe to you what it's like to be at a warm campfire with your friends on a cold, starry night while you're camping. It doesn't convey what it's like to go from cold to warm. It doesn't convey what it's like to burn your hand on a fire and have pain. It doesn't convey what it's like to have to pack up your home if you're evacuating from wildfires in East County. It doesn't convey all the emotion and the depth and the heat and the connection and the power of what fire actually is as it dominates its domain. And when Jesus wants to convey the kingdom of God, he doesn't break it into one word or one sentence. He uses images, metaphors, similes, parables to get his arms around and to get in front of you so we can understand what the kingdom is like. And today's passage is another lens into that reality. So let's take a look. What is the kingdom of God? How does it operate? And who gets included in it? Okay, first, what is the kingdom of God? I'm going to go a little out of order here. Verse 29, as Jesus is talking about what the kingdom is like, he says, actually, we'll start with the first paragraph. He also said the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once in goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. See, the harvest has come. 
would be something that the original audience would immediately have some hyperlinked files going to. That means something to these people who knew their Old Testament scriptures. In Joel 3, the prophet Joel envisions a time when God would vindicate and rescue the people of Israel who had been oppressed by all of their enemies, who had been crushed and put down. God would vindicate God's people by crushing God's enemies. So the harvest was this picture of now the score is going to be settled. Things are going to be put right, but it's going to be done by crushing our enemies. This is critical. So it says in Joel 3, verse 13 through 16, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. It was a rally cry to lift up God's people who were waiting for rescue, but to do it by crushing the surrounding ethnicities, nations, and cultures around them. So you see, this is where Jesus says, actually, The kingdom of God is God making all things right. But let me continue to describe more to you. He goes on to say, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs or all trees. And it puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is the renewal of all things and the bringing of all justice, but not through crushing our enemies. He's now quoting from Daniel chapter 4, another vision of renewal that says this, the tree grew great and strong. Its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. Ezekiel has echoes of the same themes in his prophecy. So what's going on here? Jesus is entering into the big story of the whole world. The big story of the whole world, according to the Christian faith, according to what the people would have understood in that moment and today, is that a good God created a beautiful world and said, it is good. In God's original blessing, God created plenty for everyone where there was right relationship between humanity and God. But we knew the divine, and the divine knew us. The one who created us was close to us as the air we breathe. Humans were comfortable in their own skin. They were naked and not ashamed, not afraid to be fully known or found out, to be fully embraced and fully known. They were at right relationship with each other, sharing with one another, described as being of one flesh. They were in right relationship with the created world as they tilled the ground, as their masterhood over creation actually led to creation's flourishing instead of using it for their own benefit. A good God created a beautiful world and blessed it and said, it is very good. 
But the story doesn't continue for very long until soon the first humans are starting to get a better idea than God has for their life and this world. And they say, we think we could actually run this program better than God. Let's take matters into our own hands. We want to eat more. We want to be more. We want to do more. We want to see more. We want to know more. And at the root of that was this belief, this lie. You can't trust God. You can't trust that God is actually looking out for your best interests. You need to look out for yourself. And as soon as that lie begins to spread like cancer in the community, creation begins to unravel. Humans begin to hide from God, fearing God's judgment. Humans begin to cover themselves first, you know, physically, metaphorically with uh, fig leaves, soon with animal skins, but it's much deeper than that. Because we don't want you to know who I really am. And you don't want me to know who you really are. Because there's this shadow, this echo, this lie that says, if you really knew me, you'd run. I sit with people who rise to the top of their organization, who have degrees on the wall behind them, and they say, if the people that I manage actually knew how little I know, they would never work for me. I sit with people here on this street, under trees and in parkways who don't have food and don't have shelter. And they say, if I walked into that cafe, I'd be kicked out or laughed out or ridiculed or made fun of. If they really knew me, if they really saw me, no one wants to be around me. The lie is the same no matter how much you have or where you are. Do you see? And it goes on and on between each other as first there's peace, there's one flesh, there's communion, there's knowing and being known, and then there's blame shifting. As Adam says, I didn't do it, it was the woman's fault. And the woman says, I didn't do it, it was the serpent's fault. And it's not much longer in that story until you have murder on the scene as Cain murders his brother Abel. And then pretty soon you have that expanded out into war between different nations and territories. You see how this fracturedness radiates out through every place and every time. And now you don't have to scroll down one inch on your news feed to see the effects of that brokenness. You don't have to look in the mirror for longer than 30 seconds to feel the effects of that brokenness. And it was in the midst of all of that that the people were waiting for some sort of a tree of life that would grow from heaven to earth and connect the two. That would be a place to get back to that original blessing where we were fully known and fully loved, at harmony with ourselves, with each other, with God, and with the created world. And so that's what Jesus is describing when he says the kingdom of God is like a tree that connects heaven and earth. And it is so good that all the birds of the air can find a home in it. There's belonging. When's the last time you felt like you truly belonged? He says, the shade of this tree actually protects all the animals from the rays of the sun, from the heat of the sun. There's protection. When's the last time you truly felt safe? But not safe because you're big enough, strong enough, you've gathered enough resources, and now you can protect yourself. Safe because you're in the arms of the one who knows you and loves you and will care for you. A safety that can never be taken away, that can never be revoked. He says, the kingdom of God brings that kind of safety. And the wild thing about it, the paradox... The irony is, when you start to feel safe like that, you actually stop attacking other people. 
You know, I tell my sons, 13, 11, and 7 years old, it's always the bully at school that feels the least safe. Out of our brokenness, we hurt other people. And so this shalom, this wholeness, this peace, this restored order that God is bringing is good news for you. But it's not just good news for you. It's good news for the whole world. This vision of what God's renewal will be like is nothing less than the forgiveness of your sins. But it's a whole lot more. It means racial reconciliation. Where people of different ethnicities and cultures, either because of our own experiences or the history of the society we live in, actually take a good hard look at that and begin to take tangible steps toward one another. That's one of the things I love about Renew Church. I try to describe you to friends when I meet them who haven't been here yet. And I say, when you look around, you will find people just like you. And you will find people who are nothing like you. We have people in this church who did not complete high school. We have people in this church with multiple PhDs. We have people in this church of every socioeconomic bracket. Of so many different ethnicities and cultures. We are the implausible community that can only gather together around a God who has a kingdom like this. We say this often, that our unifying principle is not that we all vote the same way, or that we like the same food, or we dance to the same music, or you don't dance to the same music. Our unifying principle is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in the midst of that unity, we can welcome everybody and make space for each other. Now, that doesn't mean to say that every value, every vision, every action in this world is equal and it doesn't matter. Not at all. But that's not where we find our unity. Once we say we belong to this kind of a kingdom, then your belonging is already, that's already secured. Now we actually have space for authentic relationship and difficult conversation with each other. We can say things to each other like, I respect you, I honor you. I don't like you right now because you hurt me in this way. I'm not going to abandon you, I'm not going to leave you, but we need to work on our relationship. You can begin to say, I respect you. I do not understand how you view this political topic. Help me understand. And in doing that, not only do we become a sign to the watching world that this kingdom is actually taking place, but we actually become sharpened and developed together. We've said this before. If you ever want to stop growing mentally, emotionally, if you ever want to stop growing, just spend time with people who think just like you. And in that echo chamber, your beliefs will be reinforced, and you will grow no more. We've said this before, that it's one of these beautiful passages in the Old Testament. As as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And people put this on the back of their t-shirts and bumper stickers and stuff in kind of Christian subcultures of a way of talking about good Christian friendship. Until you think about, how does iron actually sharpen iron? Through contact, through friction, through heat. But it's in that that it becomes more sharp. This is an invitation to a deeper, more connected, more authentic, alternative city within a city, community within a community that becomes a watching world, a sign to the watching world of a new kingdom. It's about you, but it's about a lot more than you. So that's what it is from one angle. Now, how does it work? You have these metaphors of this farmer who lies down at night and then wakes up in the morning. 
this seed that goes into the ground and then springs up fresh. So on one hand, you have this picture of going down in order to come up. I think this is part of what Jesus talks about when he says, the greatest of you must become the least of these. Others come to him and say, Jesus, can I be seated next to you on your right and your left when you come in power? I believe you're a king of power. He goes, can you really do the things I'm doing? Can you really take the verdict that I will take on your behalf on the cross? The greatest of you will not be marked by your power or the ways that you use it over other people. The greatest among you will be known by the way you lay down your life for other people. By the way you serve other people. By the way you look at your bank account, not just as a way to justify your existence in this world to other people. Or as your way of making sure that you feel safe and secure. But you actually look at your bank account as a resource to care for other people who don't have enough. When you look at your relational connections, not just as a way to hang out with people who are good enough, smart enough, good-looking enough, that you can leverage these social contacts, contacts, but you actually view relationships as a way to serve other people instead of using them. The irony is, when you do that, you actually become more connected. You pour yourself out. The farmer sleeps and rises. The seed goes into the earth and then springs up. In other words, the way to largeness is smallness. The way to fullness is emptying yourself. The way up is the way down. This is an entirely new way of being in this world, of downward mobility of the kingdom of God. The way to influence and power is not just to seek it, but to serve. The way to be free is to go to God and say, command me. It's the great irony and the great paradox. It's the reverse of how this world regards money or popularity or status or security or happiness even. This world will tell you if you want to be happy, you have to look out for number one. You have to take care of yourself before anybody else. And then one of two things happens. Either you take care of yourself before anybody else and it doesn't work and you have no one around you to help you. Or you look after yourself and take care of yourself without anybody else and you achieve your goals and you're still left all alone with just yourself. And Jesus says there's an entirely new way of being in this world. The previous passage previous couple of verses we didn't read give us, a, give us a clue to this. He says, the measure that you use is the measure that will be returned to you. In other words, to the degree that you live these things out, the more you will experience a depth and a brightness and a brilliance of your life. You see this, I tell my kids, and I don't even fully understand this, okay? But I've never found a situation where it wasn't true. Love is the only thing in this world that you can give more and more and more of it and never run out, but instead have more of it. Never seen that not be true. I wonder if that's part of the principle at work here. I wonder if that's why Scripture, when one of the metaphors and ways it talks about God, God is love. Because God is continually pouring God's self out on our behalf. You know, one of the little secrets about leading a community group, and we have a couple community groups that are starting up here, and I've been leading them for 20 years now, 
And the community group leader, we study scripture, we pray together, we apply it, we encourage each other, we challenge each other. The community group leader is working hard, especially in preparation. They're studying the scripture, they're getting out all these different commentaries, they're calling me and saying, what do you think about this part? They have worked hard. And then their friends come to their house, and they have a feast. And everyone's connected a little bit more. Everyone's encouraged a little more. Everyone's enlivened a little more. But do you know who got the fullest? The community group leader. We just finished up our community group. We're taking a two-month break. I was meeting with Ben Lee, and we were talking about this great paradox that it's actually in serving and pouring yourself out and working and striving for the good of others that you actually get built up. But this operates the same way in children's ministry. When you care for the children of this community, when you welcome newcomers to the church on Sundays, when you go into your office or your place of work, not merely for what you can get out of it, but for being a presence of renewal wherever you go. I wonder if that's why he says the more you give, the more you receive. C.S. Lewis talks about it like this. This is in the last paragraph of one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He sums up everything and says, the principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. See, you aim for joy, and you get nothing. You aim for God, and you get God and joy together. The way up is the way down. That's the how of the kingdom of God. Now, as we conclude, let's just consider for a moment who. Who gets included in this great kingdom? There's this one part of that passage that says, the very end, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them except in parables where he explained everything in private to his disciples. So someone right now says, oh my gosh, that's what I hate about Christianity. It creates these insiders and outsiders, those who get it and those who don't get it, those who are part of the church and those who aren't. Until you go back and you read the previous passage where it says something very similar. Jesus is giving this parable of the kingdom of God, and it's like this great soil and the way that things grow. And he says, let everyone who has ears to hear, listen. And then it says, most of the people just wandered away, shrugging their shoulders, wondering why this rabbi is talking about farming all of a sudden. But a select few came closer to him and said, please explain everything to us. And he said, to you, everything will be revealed. So who gets included? What does it take to be a part of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not a strategy. It's not a program. It's not 10 steps to your best life now. The kingdom of God is centered around a king, and his name is Jesus. The key to getting into the kingdom of God is getting as close to him as possible. Because salvation is not a program. It's a person. And that journey will be two steps forward and one step backward. That journey will be like a mysterious seed that sometimes feels like it's just dirt. 
and nothing's growing. And you trust that something is growing under the surface that's beautiful because the farmer, because the Lord of the harvest is at work. And look again. Some of you right now, maybe you're attracted to this church because you see things that we're doing in the community and it's, it's winsome to you. It's attractive to you. It's magnetic to you. A church that stands for racial justice. A church that cares not only about influencers in our society, but with those without resources. A church that values people of every ethnicity and culture coming together. A church that exists for the good of all our neighbors. And I would say to you, maybe you love the kingdom of God, and you're just getting to know the king now. Because we saw the farmer going down to come up. We saw the seed going into the ground. We saw the smallest seed becoming the greatest of trees. And who do you see here? Jesus. Who says, I'm the one who will go down on the cross so that I can come up through the resurrection. I'm the one who will become the smallest of seeds. We don't have time to get into it. But you think, how small did Jesus get? When did Jesus get small? When it says in Philippians 2, he had all power and authority but didn't see it as something to be grasped or exploited but emptied himself. And we go, wow, he, came, he became small. He became a human being. And you say, no, before that. He became a baby in a manger. No, before that. He became an embryo. The creator of the world at one point was as small as an amoeba. Why did that God, infinite God, become so tiny? For you. For me. As one theologian said, the great God became one of us so that we might become one with God. And now you say, okay, fine, but when did he ever become a tree? The answer is he didn't become a tree. He did not become a tree. But he was nailed to one on the cross. That as the whole world was waiting for this tree of life that would unite heaven and earth, the cross becomes that tree. In fact, one, one eyewitness account says the moment that Christ gave up his last breath on the cross, there was a curtain in the temple that was supposed to signify the, the division between God and humanity. And when Jesus was crucified, that curtain of the temple was torn in two, never to be put back together. Because God now dwells among humanity. In Christ, God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. There was a place in Genesis 28 where Jacob, you might know the story of Jacob's ladder, or if you're a scientist, you might know the electronic equipment that they call Jacob's ladder sometimes. Jacob's ladder, the story is that Jacob had this vision of some sort of a ladder or staircase that connected heaven and earth. And angels were going up and down, and earth and heaven were connected again, and all things are being renewed. And then centuries later, when Jesus begins his ministry, he calls one of his first disciples, Nathaniel, and says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, you saw me from that far away? Like, you must have some sort of amazing power. And Jesus says, you think you're impressed because I saw you under the fig tree? I tell you, you'll see greater things than this. You will see angels ascending and descending upon me. And I think in that moment he's saying, I'm the place where heaven and earth touch. You want to get closer to the God that created you. You want to have power to go down in order to come up. You want to have a security that no one could ever take away or revoke. It's found in me. So get as close to me as you can. 
And then he takes it one step forward, farther. When you're united to me like that, then you become my presence in this world. So that wherever you go, you become part of that tree of life. You become part of that seed that gives protection to the people around you, that gives belonging and inclusion to the people around you. You become an outpost of my resurrection power. Friends, don't you see? I mean, we could ponder this for the rest of our lives, how deep and bright and brilliant it is. And when you live according to it, it not only transforms your life, it changes the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you now. In this moment, asking for you to do the good work of the harvest in our lives. The harvest that brings renewal and justice and protection and belonging, not through violence, but through peace. You show us that the way down is ultimately the way up. As you pour yourself out on our behalf, help us first of all to receive that kind of love that renews and transforms, and then send us out to go and live likewise on behalf of others. I pray for everyone who's here in person, everyone who's joining online, that you would convince us of your great kingdom love for us and then give us the courage and the joy and the sense of calling to live as citizens of that kingdom, to live as ambassadors of that kingdom in this world. Because we do pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.